Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The ensuing show will change, transform, and otherwise alter you. Good luck. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Once again, we're back here live in the Mellow Tiger for another Bag of Bones mailbag episode in which the losers answer questions from their fellow patrons. Tonight, we've got a spooky bag because, hey, (laughs) we're in spooky season. As you can see in this fictional setting we've fictionally put ourselves in, the Halloween, the Halloween decorations are out, thanks to Jackie Torrance, and the fires, as orange as the pumpkins we've carved and left outside. Joining me at this fine establishment are some very familiar faces coming in from Chicago, or perhaps Midworld, um, considering what uh, the, the beat he's been following. <laughs> Please introduce yourself and tell us what Stephen King character you dress up as for Halloween. Oh, I was gonna say this is Dan Sleeping Beauty Flieger, um, just because <laughs> we were up all night. We went to a 24-hour horror movie marathon, so didn't stay for the whole thing, but been fading on and off on the couch today. So uh, I'll yeah. just say I would dress as Stephen King himself, the master. Just put on some glasses and walk around. Oh, you're gonna go as 70s King here? Uh, I mean, it's it- like dressing as a hobo for Halloween. It's like the cheap way out, but yeah, yeah, no, but that's fine. That's fine. I feel like we did. I feel like I dressed as Stephen King once and, or maybe it was for the, when we did the music box event a few years ago. Um, no, maybe it was Blake Goble that did it. And he just sat at the typewriter the whole time. And he was like, I think after two hours, he was like, are we done? Can we, can we, can we move on from this? Can I, can I get up from the, the typewriter? Uh, well, glad you're here, Dan and a uh, great costume uh, from Nashville. Who's there and <laughs> what King character are you bringing to the costume contest? Uh, well, this is Jenny Torrance Adams oh. um, embracing my my Jackie Torrance um, side. Um, I think I, of course, would dress as Charlie McGee and hope that some of that uh, fire starter power would wear off on me and that maybe I could like actually do it. Like I'm going to figure out how to start fires with my mind sometime before I die. So maybe this well, God is going to be the first step. I know. <laughs> yeah. How cool would that be? <laughs> uh, what would you, I mean, actually, if you, if you did wake up to tomorrow and you're like holy shit i could start fires with my mind what would you do first mm. like would you just go out to the you know i know don't you have like a little like campfire thing outside and oh yeah we've got a fire pit mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah that's I what they call like, it yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it's a pain in the ass to start fires and stuff um so i would just do it with my mind and that's, just be warm all the time hey that's know? smart then, that's smart yeah. you, you and know then, you, like fireworks and stuff you know i, I will say those cabin trips that have gone on in the past You'd be so just just really valuable there because um, I, I will, one of the biggest jokes of my entire life was having I was with four other guys and for two hours we couldn't get the the Duraflame to light and, wow. mm-hmm. and it was just really pathetic. We after that at the end we were like okay well we are we're no longer <laughs> you know part of you this can just culture. collect laundry lint you don't have to have the power to light with your fingertips <laughs> that is true yeah. that is true laundry yeah lint. we were just all sitting there with our minds just like I know we can get this done. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> look, we have a special guest tonight. You know him as the senior Hollywood correspondent at Vanity Fair. He's been on the podcast before, back when we were in Derry, talking about it 
chapter two, which seems like 10 years ago at this point, or it feels like yesterday, depending on where you stand, please introduce yourself and tell us who you dressed up as tonight. Oh, hey, this is Anthony Bresnikan. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you guys. I listen all the time, so you never feel far from me, but it has been a couple of years since I've been on the show, so I'm really happy to be back. Gosh, uh, okay, so you need me, like, what would be my... Uh, Your go-to Halloween costume. My- Anywhere, anyone in King's Dominion, it could be. Anyone in King's Dominion. Like, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not quite old enough to pull it off, but when I'm an old guy... Uh, I'm really looking forward to putting on like the bib overalls and the kind of straw hat and uh, uh, and a and a really intense main accent so that I can be <laughs> Judd Crandall from Pet Cemetery. Oh, that's a, well, that's a good walk. Good story too. Mm-hmm. Take you up there sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know it would be it's a fitting seg too because prior to us uh you know recording um Anthony was actually showing us all uh around his front yard which he's decorated uh to be pet cemetery. Um yes. <laughs> that, would you say that's your favorite book of uh of Kings? It is. It was the first book that I read and it really got me excited about writing uh as a as a youngster like I I love the the range of emotions that he made us feel with that story. It's I think it's his saddest book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's, it it's, I think it's one of his most profound books. I know he kind of trash talks it. He's done an interview with me where he says it's not his favorite, but I think that's because it is so intense and so personal and so bleak, but I mm-hmm. loved it. And I also loved the, uh, the idea of artifacts in the woods and finding mm-hmm. ruins and, and both the pet cemetery and the, you know, the resurrection grounds that are further off in the woods, all of that I really dig. And, and uh, I've loved that book for a long, long time. So this year we had a little tree in our front yard. I live in the burbs, by the way, literally yeah. like the Tom Hanks movie, the burbs, like <laughs> my neighborhood. And uh, so we have like a little front yard and we had like one of those little plastic uh rings that you'd have like a tree in kind of just to cordon off the dirt part from the grass part. And, uh, uh, I, I ripped that out and I replaced it with like some sandstone from a landslide that's on a, on a, a, a canyon road near our home. And so I was looking at that and I was like, you know, a couple more rings and I could have a pet cemetery. <laughs> so it just looked like, you do. it just looked a little like, you know, some sort of like a, a mini Stonehenge, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so for the past year, like whenever we've been at the beach or, if I've been driving along, like if I see a piece of driftwood or a hubcap on the side of the road, <laughs> I would pull over and grab it. And like with a plan that at Halloween, I'm going to make a pet cemetery. And so all of the graves should look like things kids find. And I also wanted to recreate some of the graves that are mentioned in the book. He mentions quite a few of them, and and they always turn up in in both adaptations of the movies. Uh, Smucky the cat, he was obedient, yeah. you know, which was famous. Mm-hmm. His daughter, King's daughter, Naomi's cat, that kind of it's, whose death inspired the story, and uh, you know, Hannah, the best dog who ever lived, and like in the '89 Pet Cemetery movie, like it's like the kid ran out of room. You know, kids will write down this. Mm-hmm. Page. So it's like lived is kind of like drooping down and it's very creepy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we had an old Ikea uh, dresser, like one of those like pine bearwood dressers. Uh, my wife and I had it. I think we bought it. It was already like 
broken. It was one of those ones that they make for display and then they sell later in like a little mm-hmm. like junk area of the store. <laughs> and like, because we were struggling and uh, we didn't have a lot of money, we uh, we bought that, hauled it back on top of my uh, Honda Civic in 1998. And, uh, and it lasted up until this year, but the drawers were all broken. There was no rehabilitating this thing. And I was, mm-hmm. I, I was hauling it out to throw it away. And I was like, you know, I can, I can smash this up and I can make uh, some graves out of it. And so <laughs> well, almost all of the graves in our little pet cemetery uh, are from this dresser, pieces of this dresser, including our pet cemetery sign, which were lit, was literally made out of pieces of the dresser that I broke apart, drilled back together in a kind of rough, jagged, pointy way. <laughs> painted with crackle paint you know that paint that separates mm-hmm. yeah and uh and then i kind of imitated the cover of the book the title treatment on the cover of the book to paint over it it was a really fun art project the kids uh, i have a 12 year old and an eight year old they helped me put it all together uh we the i was like this is a heavy duty halloween display because you know how most people have like the the like a styrofoam grave yeah you know yeah. it's like <laughs> you know, here lies and then there's nothing there's not even a joke usually anymore. yeah it's just like they, mm. the r.i.p and here lies yeah. and anything they get from home depot and so but, mine you know i we, we scratched the names in from the book and the dates and you know painted it with varnish so it would look a little like it aged and uh uh uh, and the rocks, the ring that make the rocks, we, we made the, you know, to accentuate the rings, just made full rings with the, with the uh, boxes of uh, this gravel, this big chunky sandstone from a landslide that we would go harvest. And I realized like, this is a, what am I going to do with all these rocks? Can't really put them in the garbage, you know, but uh, <laughs> I'll probably just do a little more lance, like spread them out and do some landscaping, but it's been fun. People have been really, uh, taken by it and it actually is it's like legitimately creepy yeah as opposed to like goofy and like my favorite thing was a dad was walking by with his son the son was about six years old the kid was like oh i want to see and he started to walk in our yard and the dad like yanked him away like no we don't want to go in there (laughs) (laughs) and i was thinking yeah you don't want to go in there this is kind of like especially if you have your tetanus shots you know a lot of of jagged wood and uh yeah so you you turned hoarding into a art piece so that's yeah Yeah, exactly you know that's uh, so cool though i love that you got your kids involved because that's like part of the, the kids build the pet cemetery you know it's yeah that, that is true it is that is right and, and they know it's funny because it's funny what kids absorb they haven't read mm-hmm. any stephen king i try to encourage my daughter to read uh the girl who loved tom gordon because i thought that's a good mm. entry level king mm. book mm-hmm. for a kid i was 12 when i read pet cemetery she's not as into scary stuff as i was uh so she wasn't uh she wasn't gonna go that far but they it's funny. It's a like pretty kid, intense book too. Kids, kids know Pennywise and kids know Pet Cemetery, and they. It's funny. Like, these are. I guess these things are just in the ether, and they kind of absorb it in the pop culture. You know. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think so. I mean, just looking back, and you know, from my upbringing, Pet Cemetery was certainly. I, I feel like I knew that more than Pennywise. And mm-hmm. I th- it's probably just because the poster itself is so jarring. I mean, just with like Pascal's eye on the top mm-hmm. of it. I think as a kid, I saw that in video stores and in movie theaters and just being, and I was just like, what the, what the fuck is that? Like that is yeah. terrifying. Um, and it really is jarring because it's like, as a kid, we do, we are really, you know, I mean, we do learn about death through our pets, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's so, it is mm-hmm. such a ubiquitous thing. And he nails that. So, well, I mean, we, I was rewatching it yesterday when I was on AMC fear fest 
And it really does get under my skin. And you, Flieger, you were texting me after the commentary Ooh. track that you were like, yeah, even now, like after seeing it a hundred times, like, you know, it still gets under your skin, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a childhood trauma. I mean, it sticks with you. It's one of the scariest movies I watched in my childhood. Yeah. And I think the mm-hmm. fact that it was the miniseries, so it wasn't easily rentable, but, mm-hmm. it, you know, every time I went to the video store, there was the Pet Cemetery box mocking me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. And it's just like things that are like, like live in children's worlds already, you know, but there's kind of a sinister version. And it's like this, this idea that the things that we like and the things that we love could kind of turn against us. I think there's something really appealing to that, but also really quantifiable in a kid's brain, you know? I think so some that, of his best... I, his best books, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there. Oh, no, no. no I think some of his best books are about kids. The Shining, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery, you know, uh, Firestarter, you name it. Even, yeah. even Christine is about teenagers, you know. It's and, true. Uh, it's very true. Um, you know, I think he's he's certainly written great books about uh, grown-ups, too. And Pet Cemetery is about the parents, really, more or less. Mm-hmm. But uh, but still, that that ch- he, he really knows how kids look at the world. And I also think kids um they're more superstitious than adults you know Mm -hmm. because they understand less about the world so they're kind of looking at it from that caveman perspective of like how do you make sense of these things and you make up Mm -hmm. stories in your own mind to explain the weird things that happen and uh and they're more like they're more credulous they're more willing to believe in 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 things that they can't see or fully understand and uh so you know that's where all the scary those dark corners are where all the scary things are found Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Have did you show the movie to the to your kids though? No, <laughs> we were so like, this looks like a fun movie. Can we watch it tonight? And you're like, no. You know, we just show we we've been showing them like in some uh, some scary movies, but like, you know, uh, they uh, they really liked uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, the original one. Yeah, that's oh, cool. And the original Frankenstein. So we were kind of starting with some of the classic stuff, also because it's a little tamer. And, uh, you know, we showed them The Village, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, mm. which mm-hmm. which I think is very kid friendly because it's also about how the pair. I mean, spoiler alert for people who don't know what The Village is about. But <laughs> it's like 15 years it's old. It's been a while, right? So we yeah, can talk yeah. about it. Yeah. But, but it's Not also it's kind of like how the parents are are corrupt or lying to the to kids and, uh, and and the kids are now grown up and figuring this out. And so I thought they would dig that. They love anything where the parents are uh the villains or are ridiculous like they love mr mom it's not a halloween movie oh like, love it. Yeah. i loved that movie, love that movie. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they didn't understand why it was such a big deal that he was staying home like, <laughs> yeah because of course they're growing up in a different era but uh but I, I was like yeah when i was a kid this was considered unusual and so they made a, mm-hmm. a comedy out of it but they love that you know the hapless dad ironing a grilled cheese sandwich and you know uh-huh. feeding yeah. a baby chili all that they love so <laughs> we thought they would like the village because you know the parents are, are are the ones the elders of this village are the ones lying to the kids and it was just even though there's not that much violence in it it was it was a little too scary for them um yeah. mm-hmm. arachnophobia yeah. was the same deal so i think oh. i'm thinking maybe Ooh. next year with Pets no Ar- yeah arachnophobia it's funny because that was one of the movies that was playing at the the music box uh marathon that flea was talking about earlier mm-hmm. and i can't watch it still because as a kid mm-hmm. i saw it and i didn't want to take a shower after it, I didn't yeah. want to go to the bathroom. I didn't want to go lay in my bed because they had, of that montage moment where you just see the spiders go all across town. And I still, to this day, I'm like, look, I know it's a horror comedy. I know it's funny. I know John Goodman is hilarious in it. I'm good. 
I, I just yeah. I can't I can't do it. I it's it's weird. It's just mm-hmm. it's uh, out of all the movies. But you know, I could sh- I could watch like Cannibal Holocaust without a without a problem. So <laughs> th- there's something there. Um yeah. you know, but uh Anthony, it's it's been a while and I wanted to ask, you know, uh we're you know, we're both journalists in the in the in the mm-hmm. past, but I, I you know, I had for you, how has been, you know, how is it being a journalist, especially entertainment in 2020 and 2021 different than it was when we last spoke? You know, a lot has changed. I, I imagine you, you're used to being on Zoom now, right? <laughs> At yeah. this point. Well, it's funny, you know, uh, yeah, the last time we spoke, I was just starting at Vanity Fair and uh, it, it Chapter 2 was the first, one of the first big pieces that I did for them. Uh, and, and, you know, sort of analysis of that movie, interview with the cast and, um you know, it's, you know, I don't know if this is quite what you meant, but as a journalist, I think being bottled up at home for so long, and we took the lockdown very seriously, you know, Mm -hmm. our family has some health issues that we're very cautious about. So we weren't taking any risks, but being bottled up, it's hard because you're constantly looking for new stories. And one Mm -hmm. story kind of leads to another. If you're on a movie set, you get an idea for something from something you see there that isn't necessarily you're going to do right away on this movie but maybe put together like you just hear things you hear talk you hear trends so it's kind of like that like that went away because now you're not spending any of that downtime meeting with people just sort of casually talking coming up with story ideas i've done a a number of stephen king interviews over the past two years for the magazine you know the stand yeah uh, miniseries came out and so i interviewed him about that and about um uh if it bleeds his novella collection and um we've talked uh several times now about uh uh Lisey's story was another i think that was probably the most recent time that i've spoken mm-hmm. to him and uh you know there's uh it, it seems like every couple of months i've gotten to interview uh uncle steve <laughs> for, <laughs> for vanity fair and those stories do really well you know it's uh he's a guy we didn't really cover that much before I got here. And I brought my enthusiasm for him. I, you know, it's funny because my editor will sometimes be like, wow, this is a lot of Stephen King, you know, Chapel way. It was another <laughs> yeah, example yeah. of the Jerusalem's mm-hmm. lot series. Um, and, and, you know, my feeling is he is kind of like Marvel, like he's so prolific and he's written so totally. many things. And there are so many adaptations of his work because I primarily cover film and television. There's so much in the pipeline from him that you can't help but cover Stephen King because mm-hmm. um, every studio has two to three King projects that are freight training toward screens. So there's yeah. always something new to talk about with him. Well, mm-hmm. it's interesting too because it's uh, you know whenever we get together for the Hollywood King episodes, mm-hmm. you know I'm always like you know this summer we were like God we haven't heard from Chapelweight in a while, and then your story broke, <laughs> so it was like okay, well now we know we know what's happening, we know the deal with this. This is exciting, and this mm-hmm. that turned out to be one of our favorite things this year. But this was a this was a surprisingly busy year for King, and I wanted to know like what were some of your favorite developments over the last year, and and you know what are you looking ahead also. Um, you know, in the future. What am I looking ahead to? There are a couple of things that I can't say just yet that I'm really yeah, excited for. Yeah. But trust me, you'll know when they drop. Um, you know, uh, let, let's see. What am I most, you know, uh, I think it's uh, Brian Fuller uh, mm-hmm. is doing a Christine adaptation. Yeah. And can I mention an, uh, a rival Stephen King show no it's fine show. totally totally you know the yeah. king cast uh yeah yeah um I, I think there's plenty of room for lots of stephen king shows so. oh absolutely <laughs> yeah so I, 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 cut, I, cut his not... mic cut his mic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no 
Oh, look, we've had Wampler on the show, but like back in our first year. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah but it's, they did an interview with Brian Fuller where he talked, he did like the, the queer LGBTQ read on Christine. And if you haven't listened to that, give it a listen. It's, I love things like that where somebody brings, the reader brings their own interpretation to the work. And who knows whether this was, I don't think it was in the fore of King's mind when he was writing it, but the idea that, um, you know, I, I do think the relationship between Arnie and uh, what's the friend's name? Uh, Dennis. 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 Yeah. You know, I think that there's a, there's a deep affection there. And I think you can mm-hmm. read that as a as something more than just buddies, you know, totally. and, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, and, the, and he 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 taught uh, I'd let him I don't want to I don't want to mangle it, but like his read on it was really fascinating. And then a, like a month or two after that show he announced he was uh, going to be doing an adaptation of that. And, and to me, that a, a new take on a story that we all know, I think is really fascinating. Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I still like the John Carpenter movie. Uh, it's funny. I live a few blocks away from where they did the gas station scene. In, uh, oh, interesting. Oh, wow. in, they shot it here in Santa Clarita, north of L.A. It doesn't look anything like it, it did then because back then it was the middle of nowhere. And now there's a mall right across the street and it's, <laughs> uh-huh. it's all terraformed, you know, but it's uh, it used to just be a country road. And uh, and, and they blew up the built and blew up a gas station. There. <laughs> um, and uh, but I'm really looking forward to, to Fuller's uh adaptation of christine i think that he he just seems to have a really cool take on it and i like when filmmakers bring a sense of heart and feeling and emotional connection to their adaptations of king's work i think it always turns out better yeah oh absolutely i mean when you could come Mm -hmm. in especially when you're doing a remake i mean that that's one of the things i will i do really love about the 2019 pet cemetery is that like at least they tried to do something different with it you know like it wasn't like Mm -hmm. you know like the 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 subversions that they did with that story were really interesting because i you know sitting there in the theater having watched pet cemetery a million times i was like i don't know where the fuck they're going with this and i want that more Mm -hmm. often if they're going to revisit a lot of the material um you know you 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 talked about a lot of the projects from this year, especially those that you've covered. What out of you know like you, you know you had the stand, you did you know Lisi story. There's Chapel Wait. I think that's all of them this year. Um, what were ones that like? What was one that like really blew you away though? That like you couldn't that you were kind of like shocked that like wow like this is this is an interesting take that they did with this material. Hmm. That blew me away in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a good way, a good way. Yeah, <laughs> I was pretty impressed with Chapel Wait because I, I I thought that that um that that could easily have gone the way of like a graveyard shift or something. Mm-hmm. And graveyard mm-hmm. shift is really crazy fun junk, but it's junk. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. eating like the family size pack of Sour Patch Kids, <laughs> like. Like, yeah, it doesn't really feel good while you're doing it, but it's something uh-huh. pleasurable about it. But then afterwards, you, you feel kind of sick, like your mouth <laughs> yeah. is burning and your stomach's and, you know, doing uh, somersaults. But uh, I think that could have gone really badly. Uh, and I th- do think that it was too long. I think there were too many episodes mm-hmm. and I wish they had hewed a little closer to the short story. They did really well at the beginning, but I like the atmosphere of it. Um, the production design maybe was a little, it, it, it wasn't quite there, but I was overall impressed with how that turned out. And, um, Mm -hmm. and Lisey's story, I think was my favorite of all of them. Mm. I think, I think that that, and that's a tough book to adapt. Obviously it means a lot to him because he adapted it himself and he's, he's told me and he's told other people in interviews that 
that that's his favorite of his novels. Um, and, and I thought that that turned out to be just a beautiful production and really haunting and dreamlike and surreal. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Really did feel cinematic. So I was impressed with that. Uh, I was mixed on the stand jumbling the timeline. Same. I didn't care for that part of it, but I liked all the performances and a lot of the writing on the stand. Mm-hmm. I, I I think if I'd had my preference, I just would have straightened out the timeline a little bit. But, uh, yeah. you know, um, but still it was, there. you know, there were some great performances and I liked seeing those characters brought back in a new way. And it was fun mm-hmm. being in that world. I mean, when we talked about yeah. what we were doing, because we were doing week-to-week coverage on it, and mm-hmm. it was just entertaining being able to talk about these characters again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it just mm-hmm. like being able to see them and see how they, you know, we were able to kind of rework it all. Um, but yeah, it's been a wild year. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy that despite the pandemic, we still had probably the busiest year of Stephen King in a long time. I mean, it's, it's probably since 2017, I, I feel like, because honestly, it's we th- three series like that's qu- kind of crazy <laughs> like three mm-hmm. long mini series that were at like these 10 episodes each so i i don't know I was, I was pretty jazzed about it but um and two new books yeah <laughs> and two new books like jesus christ but uh but look we got a lot of questions and mm-hmm. I've, I, I've i've jabbered a lot so we're gonna <laughs> defer to all the questions that our patrons sent in um and uh we'll call it your name if you're here and you'll have a chance to ask it. But if not, we're going to each go around. We're going to round robin this. So let's start with Nick Rem. Nick asks, what are your favorite, least favorite King book or short story titles and why? Jen, we're going to kick it off with you. Okay, now I'm panicking for a minute because are we talking actual titles or are we talking like, can I just say what's the ones that I like? You can just say what the ones, like I I think they were specifying titles, but. um, Okay. Yeah. Okay, Um, Um, Okay, well, I've got my top five and I'll blow through them real quick. My my favorite is The Stand. It's just the book when I fell in love with him um, and as a writer. And then my I've got another tier of Misery, Pet Cemetery, and The Shining, which I can never decide between. They kind of shift back and forth. And then Gerald's Game has snuck into my top five in the last couple of years because I just absolutely love it. Um, And my least favorite, and I really hate. Um, talking about the things that I don't like, but I Dreamcatcher is at the very bottom of my list. Um, <laughs> Buick Eight and Sleeping Beauties. So I'm not not really fans of those. There are some That's good fair. moments, but you know, that's yep. fair. I I feel like when we we did like a a rough bottle review of Sleeping Beauties, and it was uh, Justin Gerber was the one that took that on. It's a very long book, mm-hmm. and uh, yep. yeah, it was he wasn't a big fan of that. But um, uh, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, favorite and least favorite King book titles uh, or short story titles and why? Yeah, my favorite is Pet Cemetery I, uh, for reasons I've already explained. It was the first one. It struck a lot of nerves with me of lost ruins in the woods and, and times gone by, the remnants that are left behind. Uh, and also just the way it grapples with life and death and yeah. uh, and how it how, how that feels and how that hurts. It is right up there. I think that was my second book. <laughs> I went yeah. right for the big oh, one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I went for that one because the girl I liked in seventh grade knew that I liked Stephen King and she bought me mm-hmm. the It, the big fat paperback with the green claw on it for Christmas. Oh, and nice. Oh, wow. Gave it to me. And that was how I knew she liked. So that was like, you know, puppy Aww. love kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> so that always has, uh, you know, just a warm spot. 
Um, it's funny how often I think, and maybe this is true for you guys too, is, uh, it, you know, when you get into King, when you're young, it, it's tied in so much with the things that are in your life. Like who gave mm-hmm. you the book? Mm-hmm. So many people are like, my aunt had the Stephen King books on her shelf and I started reading them. And, you know, it, it, you know, it, there's always somebody, uh, friendships that are formed around him. Uh, it, it, Spielberg, I think is a lot the same way. People remember going to see the Indiana oh, Jones totally. movies with their dad and, or their uncle or their best friend. And like, uh, so the pet cemetery is up there for me the dead zone is probably my number two and and especially this time of year do you guys remember the end of the dead zone again mm-hmm. spoiler for the 40 some year old book but like <laughs> you know um gosh i'm again i'm blanking on uh, john smith's uh, the girlfriend who sarah sarah yeah. who yeah. marries and has a child and moves on when he's uh uh in the coma you know she comes to his grave at the end of the book and that sequence is like, it just got, it has like the chimney smoke and the blowing leaves. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. such an October scene, like such a mm-hmm. Halloween fall scene, not Halloween in the sense of like skeletons and all that, but like just that kind of wintry feel that wi- that sense of winter coming on is really strong at the end of that book. And, uh, and I always think of it this time of year, especially uh, the stand is another obvious, like, again, it's kind of like, these are his greatest hits. So um, yeah. It's it's hard. I, I always want to reach for one that maybe is a little offbeat, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to throw the Tommyknockers in there because a lot of people <laughs> bag on that book, and mm-hmm. I do think that's a messy book. And I think King has he and I've never talked about the Tommyknockers, but he, uh, <laughs> I, I've read other interviews where he's like, yeah, that one, that's got away from me, right, right down there with Dreamcatcher. Like Dreamcatcher just isn't a good. It's uh, that's just a book that didn't need to be published. It just wasn't, it didn't work. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it needed to be revised or something, but, um, but I do think the Tommy knockers could be tightened and edited into a much more cohesive book. And even some of the mm-hmm. things that people don't like, I really like, I love that scene of the hovering Coke machine. That's like a century. I love the idea of possession of these, this alien intelligence, like, doing a little bit of uh, invasion of the body snatchers but it just uh it just possesses these people and mm-hmm. uh i like the that idea because it's it's the notion that alien life really isn't biological the way ours is it's more spiritual it's yeah it's metaphysical and it it, it uh attaches to human beings much like a virus so yeah. mm-hmm. you know but that floating coke machine a lot of people don't like it but i like it because for the same reason the pet cemetery thing is so scary found objects just using what you have the idea that these super intelligent hybridized people would just grab whatever they had and turn that into this sort of sophisticated uh technology but the shell is some rudimentary everyday object that's just sort of hovering around. Like if you saw that on a country road, just a hovering Coke machine, you'd be like, oh, the, the, the character that that, I think he's a journalist too, right? He's there to yeah. find out why the village mm-hmm. has gone quiet. Like he's just watching it mesmerize as it comes for him. And um, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the really strong film adaptation of Tommy Knockers to mm-hmm. strip away the stuff that doesn't work, focus on the stuff that does, that little sliver of a ship sticking out of the dirt and there being a massive mm-hmm. ancient thing buried in the woods is a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, and then another one that gets bashed a lot 
and this is one I have talked to King about, is uh, Needful Things. Mm, we yeah. love Needful Things. Yeah, we're I a big like fan Needful of that. Yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I think over the past four years, Needful Things really has acquitted itself well as yeah. <laughs> our world, our American society has pulled apart and people who once had like kind of simmering disagreements have now like open hostility toward each other. 100%. And yeah. the way that a demagogue can, I'm not going to get like political on you, but, but the way you can <laughs> stoke, you can it, stoke but... that tension. You can yeah. really amp it up and uh, and make people angrier than they ever thought they would be capable of being and mislead them into being angry. And then there's that great line at the end when Leland Gaunt is talking about how he, you know he's been through the ages creating these kinds of conflicts. And at the end, he always sells them weapons. Like, I just feel uh-huh. like it's so America 2020. Like, yeah. not Very. only do we have this intense hatred that's been stoked into an inferno uh but but we also have easy access to the most deadly firearms possible and uh yeah not a good combination so i always mm-hmm. liked it in fact i asked him i was doing some other interview and I, I, I somehow he mentioned needful things and i was like can we just talk about needful things for a minute <laughs> like i just gotta pick your brain and we talked about this idea that it's an un underappreciated book and he's pretty candid. Like he he will say which books he thinks doesn't work. He doesn't. I, I've never found him to be precious about like, um, you know, all everything I write is perfect. Like he'll yeah. he'll bag on he, he the books we don't like. He he's not the biggest fan of either. You know. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he said, yeah, he thinks needful things kind of got a raw deal because he meant it to be a satire and people didn't take it that way. They wanted it to be mm-hmm. scary and it's really more of a dark comedy. And uh, I think that holds up really well. <laughs> yeah, I think if you go in with it as a dark comedy, it 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 works exceedingly well. And I feel like that's what Fraser Heston tried to go at when he mm-hmm. adapted it. You know, back in what, I've always wanted to see his expanded version, which I think aired on TNT at some point. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. I don't even think you can find a bootleg of it anymore. It is wild. We, yeah, yeah. One of our listeners, it. yeah, one of our listeners sent it in, and the intro is is just all different from the movie. And if um, you still have that, would you? Oh, I'll send it. You? Yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, Flieger, what about you? Favorite, um, least favorite? Hmm, for titles. Yeah. I didn't have a middle school crush give me a book, but <laughs> Gerald's Game and no, that would be awful. Um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I had 10 days out of school suspension. Um, no, I'll just, a lot of the ones have been mentioned, like Pet Cemetery. Um, I was going to say then just to switch it up a little, some of the collections. Oh, yeah. I really like mm. everything's eventual. I just think there's mm-hmm. like a nice, poetry to that with the alliteration um i really like different seasons for the way that it kind of encapsulates without getting directly into it like what the book is going to be about and i guess some of the shorter stories um like i like the breathing method i just think that sounds like this it sounds like an old like 1800s medical procedure to me Mm -hmm. um children of the corn i think is really good Mm -hmm. um well, the one Hollywood I, loved that one too because yeah. they were like like ten, I think now at this point. Oh so. man, and they always mess up the taglines too. It's like they have so many right there, and they just uh, anyway. Mm. Um, <laughs> the one just I'll wrap this up quick um, that I don't like is probably 1922. Really? Because well, think about like the famous books that have come out with just a year: 1984, 2001, 1922. I don't think it's up there with those. You know, it just doesn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's not anything historical. I mean, obviously you could find stuff that was going on, but it's post-World War One. 
you know, there's just not a lot that you can cling on to and have an idea of what the book is about. I like the story a lot. Don't get me wrong. I just, mm-hmm. if I had to pick a title, I just think 1922, that's like a placeholder title for me. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I mean, for me, yeah, because I, I, I took it literal in terms of just the, the, the title wise, but I will say my favorite book is The Dead Zone. I, I think that's just a perfect book, a 10 out of 10 for me. And for all the reasons that Anthony just you know painted out, just because I, I just think it's, it's, it's a quintessential fall book and you could tell that King was trying to do a kind of like a something wicked in terms of like mm. what his that that fall atmosphere and everything and i just mm-hmm. i love it i should i should reread it but i think I it has the best twist too the, i agree because mm-hmm. i was like either he's gonna kill the evil politician greg stilson or he's or he's not and then therefore the world will end and he found a way to do something different like that middle ground yeah mm-hmm. it's that, so good that, that really surprised me you know and, yeah uh, mm-hmm. can i and jump it, in with a placeholder thing that you mentioned the placeholder yeah. title yeah, totally. Uh, when I interviewed King about the stand, he, you know, this is in the middle of the pandemic, and you know, he was obviously like the rest of us, marveling at like, oh wow, yeah, this does feel like the stand. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he mm. said we were talking about the title, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm always amazed that they let me get away with that title because it was just kind of like." Uh, and, and we were talking about the title because I feel like the title. I think it's a great title but it, it mm-hmm. reveals what the book is actually about. And when I wrote about it, I said, it, it, it's not called the plague. It's not called the end of the world. You know, it's not, it's not about the destruction of the world. It's about standing up in your darkest moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, I'm amazed. That was, that was his intent with it, but he said he couldn't believe they let him get away with it because it is kind of a bland title. It's not a very yeah. evocative mm-hmm. title. It doesn't really tell you what it is. And I was like, yeah. Oh, that's funny that King at that point in his career was still very early. And, uh, he uh, he was prepared to be shut down by the uh, publisher. You know, writers have uh-huh. very little say over their covers and over the way their books are marketed. And so um, he, uh, uh, but they let him get away with that. I'm glad they did. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. And, and it's it's kind of crazy too when you think about the cover because it doesn't really say anything either. You're like, what is this? Like a yeah. Star Wars book? Like it's it's kind of crazy. It looks like I monster. Mean, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Yeah, I, so I, I really love, in terms of titles, I really love Night Surf. I love that as a short story, story title. I think it really kind of sounds like, I mean, you know, it sounds like it could be a Capri Sun drink, but I, I also <laughs> love the simplicity of it. And I kind of think it sets the tone for that story because um, it's technically a prequel um, in terms of where he wrote. I mean, he he wrote it before, I feel like he wrote it before The Stand because it was published before that. But um, so I love that one. I also just love how blunt he is in labeling things a lot of his works, like the raft, the crate, the boogeyman. It kind of has like a definitive tone to it. So I've always appreciated that. And then in terms of a least favorite, I I mean, you can go back to the Skeleton Crew episode, but I really don't like Here There Be Tigers. I just don't like that. And I I thought the title is kind of like, oh, what what the fuck is this? But so. Sounds like a pirate. Yeah. So I've never really been, I never really liked that title and I don't like the the, the story that much. But um, that's about it for me. I mean, I feel like that was, uh, I feel like he's been pretty good with titles. I feel like his titles are pretty dead on. I mean, like think about like Mm -hmm. Misery. Like that's such a fucking good title. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. so boom right there to the point. But um. Let's go to the next question. Uh, oh, sorry. Just titles. I think I was sorry. I got into just the books and stuff, but the, I know, no, that's totally right. the pet cemetery, the misspelling, I think is like, that is the most brilliant of his titles. It, like, because it's it so good. Sticks yes. in your- and autocorrect now will correct it that way for me. Oh, really? Love. <laughs> yeah. That it's become a part of the lexicon now, you know? 
It's probably because we've typed about it so many times on text threads. Uh, that's, you know? yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, absolutely. They're like, all right, well, I guess they like 1989's Pet Cemetery <laughs> right. or 1983. I know what she's talking about. Yeah. Uh, Mark Davitt. Jen, why don't you read this next question? All right. Which King shorts, I'm sorry, which King story would best lend itself to a VR game? And why is it the jaunt? So that's a little <laughs> editorializing there. Um, I think the jaunt would be a very, uh, really cool VR game. But my answer was Mrs. Todd's shortcut. I think that would be so cool. You could drive so many different places, see all these really cool like trees that would try to grab you and like really cool creations. And like you could try to get to certain places with the shortest amount of time. I just think it would be really really cool and i love that yeah. story so i want more things you do it. love that story i, I feel like there's <laughs> not a bag of bones episode that goes by without a mention of this you know Ms. Todd, which is great you know i know it should go on our bingo card yeah it's really. a beautiful short story i think i love that it's story. so good it's, it's one so of my good. favorites uh i feel like darabont would have done wonders with that story but you know, mm-hmm. you know maybe he'll do it again you know now that cast rock is around uh anthony VR game. Where are you I going think for? the mist because mm. if you ever play VR, you don't really go too far. At least the way the technology is set up now, you can't really. It's not like it's not like an open world game, really. So mm-hmm. the idea that you're in a single location, you're trapped in the grocery store, and you've got to avoid Mrs. Carmody and uh, her zealots, <laughs> and you've got. Uh, cashiers getting yanked out of the front windows and the wasps coming in and the tentacles coming in the back loading dock like I just think if you think about VR games they're all they're 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 really about exploring and so I think like can you survive the attack on the grocery store would be a pretty cool VR game yeah, let's mm. just hope it doesn't have the ending from the movie. Um, oh, you didn't that, like that a, ending? That, I know, I love that ending, but that'd be an intense VR experience. Yeah, really. yeah. I don't want to live through the, it. You know, the thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do this. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it would just be, can you survive the ticking clock? Yeah. Get, get, mm. you know. Uh, maybe you, get, you win if you get to the car yeah. or you take yeah. your VR set off and your actual child is dead in real life <laughs> oh god Jesus <laughs> um, no, I'm just trying to answer the question honest um, uh, no, I, so I, I put a few for these the jaunt video game I was like well that would just be like a sensory deprivation tank right that you yeah. go into yeah I gotta disagree <laughs> with that because like the, the whole thing of the jaunt is that you don't know what happens to your perception when you pass through that membrane to another dimension so like how would you represent that you could never create yeah. anything that matches the uh inability to imagine it you know yeah <laughs> it's but kind I, of I thought... like it's kind of unadaptable right like in that respect like how the hell are you ever going to turn that into like anything uh you'd you have to be like planning a... it on it yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I i just want to see it adapted because i want to see the technology of the 24th century but the actual commute i can skip that part yeah but, that's um, <laughs> but i but i Oh, go ahead. Oh, so sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I think uh, they stretch out these short stories too much. I like the Nightmares and Dreamscapes series that they did a few years back. I think it was on Mm -hmm. TNT because they just would take this short story and turn that into a half hour, 45 minutes. Like, that's really all you need. That's all you need. Uh, Like, I kind of think, like I said, Chapel Weight would have been stronger if they had maybe cut three episodes off of it and stuck closer to the original story. Like, just would have been cooler. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I kind of agree, though, with uh, so I've done some like VR and like Oculus stuff. Uh, we did like the Game of Thrones one at mm-hmm. South by Southwest years ago, which was really cool. Um, so I thought like Popsy, where you're Sheridan driving the car and escaping. Oh but, you know, Popsy <laughs> is crashing into you 
you know, shaking the car, maybe it could be like a 4D uh-huh. experience. Um, with that also, I thought like Dolan's Cadillac would be kind of a cool demo of VR where like <laughs> Just you're sort of in this closed space and it's, you know, you're getting buried on all sides. You're feeling, you know, the light is escaping. Oh, so uh, you're I think Dolan in this. I, I like yeah. that. That's a cool yeah, I, I, All mine are like claustrophobic. It's kind of like what Anthony <laughs> was saying too. Like with the mist, the thing that would work great with the mist is the technology of rendering. You can block it with the mist, which is what Silent Hill kind of did. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I think that actually like lend itself really well, but I, I would love to see a Stephen King VR game. I, it'd be terrifying, but there's so many good titles to choose from. Yeah, I, I did. I chose one for the road because I feel like that's a story Ooh. that, you know, a lot of people try to adapt, especially with the Dollar Baby program. But I feel like imagine being in the car and having that 360 as you're going into town and then you get out. You're walking around Salem's lot. Wow, there's some crazy lightning here in Chicago right now. Um, yeah, crazy storm. And I'm also having an allergic reaction right now. So mm. we'll go with that. <laughs> but uh, I'm having a VR experience myself. Um, but uh, I think getting in the town is like the, the snow like kind of builds on. I just think that would be so terrifying, especially if like you could hear something behind you and you see like the eyes and they pounce on you. I, I don't know. I feel like that'd be a, a really good way to go about it. But mm-hmm. it'd be really pretty too. Well, let's go to Damien Keeley's. Flieger, why don't you take this one? Damien Keeley asks, The Running Man, in the spirit of an Arnie movie, but with classic King antagonists as the stalkers, who are the losers picking to hunt down? Whitman, Price, or Haddad? Take that over to Jen. I actually have to refresh my recollection on who those characters are. <laughs> well, I just kind of thought about who I thought would be good at hunting people. And I mean, I think Pennywise is... Uh, you know, because he's a shapeshifter and he can, you know, um, inhabit anyone or look like anyone. But I think I would probably plant Annie Wilkes somewhere in a hospital or like first aid-ish type station. Maybe not a legit one because I don't think they would want to go on to a place where they would have be on the radar in the medical system. But I think she would be the kind of person that could appear very sympathetic and, and like kindly and then turn and really fuck them over. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my answer. Uh, Andy, how about you? Yeah, I'm, I got to second you on Annie Wilkes. Like, as somebody who's stalking and hunting you down, <laughs> she would be, she would lure you in with her. Uh, I mean, how would you describe the way she, her, 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 her apparent personality? Kind of the folksy, mm-hmm. uh, pun filled cat aunt. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, just like real non-assuming, you know. You know, but the whole like cockadoody kind of like the way she doesn't swear but substitutes in like really ben- like bizarrely eye-rolling uh, substitutions for when mm-hmm. she gets angry, but she's also murderous. Like that's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe she should let that anger out. Uh, yes, <laughs> I like yeah, I, I like her. Uh, it's funny, like who who are among his his most aggressive villains because that's what you would need in a running man stalker popsy mm-hmm. popsy and night flyer again yeah. Ooh, <laughs> can yeah. fly chattery teeth you know yeah. Mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah sneak up on you yeah uh, but um yeah let me think i guess like jack torrance yeah with the axe know. yeah or the or with the with the, the mallet the rope yeah mallet, you know? yeah mm-hmm. um the, I, the, the the captain trips bacteria like a little just goes all over it just like kills everyone just like, uh-huh i mean yeah uh, <laughs> did, did a number on us you know yeah oh, lord <laughs> um i actually imagine this still taking place in the 80s so i i, I kind of took a more pulpy approach to it i i cast a macho man randy savage playing cujo 
Uh, oh Kuta my would God. be a great, a great yeah. like, uh-huh. hunter, uh, right? Oh uh, yeah, Macho Madness. I got like Hulk Hogan is the Mangler, and uh, Misty Blue is Christine. So they'd all oh have like gosh. characteristics akin to the respective king characters. Like maybe Misty Blue is driving like a car. And, uh-huh. you know, like Hulk Hogan is, I, I don't know, he just is the mangle. If he just calls himself that, but I admit this is a dumb idea, but so, I so just humans, thought that- humans dressed as in sort of like costume as so like that's their name with like red armor that looks like a Plymouth Fury be like exactly. Christine. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So it'd be gotcha. like, you know, it, cause in that eighties era, like, you know, I feel like that's what action figures would do at the time. We would just be like, you know, like this is the transformer, but you know, it, it's really the car or something like that. I feel like with the characters on screen, like they can call themselves that, but also have, right. you know, like color qualities and it could work or whatever. But yeah, I just figured I just couldn't shake the Arnold movie out of my head. So I had to go with the wrestlers, but Dan, what about that you? That would be fun. Well, I think just the uh, Popsy, I'm going to stick with that. But yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe like the big Coffin Hunters. Ooh, I think that might cool. be kind of a cool one, especially if it was out in like a big landscape. I just think, uh, yeah, they, they kind of fit the role as the uh, stalkers. Totally, totally. Uh, all right, well, this next question. Someone's here for this. Jeffrey Clutterbuck. Yes, sir. What you ask your question? All right, so... It kind of got brought up a little bit earlier too with the dead zone and you know having that real fall feel to it so king being the master of horror it fits in with the halloween oeuvre vibe and whatnot but what would be another a different holiday that you would like him to base a book on or have it revolve around a certain holiday yeah, that's a good question. That is a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony, let's kick off with you. I love Christmas stories that have a supernatural theme. Uh, that's a very popular thing in England. Like every Christmas Eve, I think they have, the BBC has like a different Mr. James story that they present that has nothing to do with Christmas. It's just like their ghost stories and, and their Christmas mixed together. The chocolate with the peanut butter, I guess, is a good favorite. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you think of uh, a Christmas carol, the three ghosts or you think of the nightmare before christmas there is a there is a cool thing with christmas and i know um uh the nosferatu book that joe hill wrote had a kind of like christmas land theme to it that was that was a lot of fun and um but i don't know that king has really done too much like at the holiday Mm -mm. so Mm -hmm. like if he were to write a christmas story a supernatural christmas story that would be kind of interesting yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That's, that's actually kind of what I had. I, I, I literally was saying like he could go kind of a sentimental route, maybe like a little bit like elevation. Um, yeah. Maybe mm. do like a return to castle rock for a Christmas story or something like that. And you could maybe, I don't know, use the decor, like a Shane black story or something like that. But, um, mm-hmm. but uh, figure, what about you? What holiday are you going for? Um, I, I thought it'd be cool to do like a leap day because it only occurs once every four <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. could have some kind of like, serial killer that repeats um and just keeping a february i thought like uh, valentine's day i'm not i'm sure it's appeared throughout the books but i don't know that it's been like featured as a major holiday but i've always mm-hmm. thought that was a cool you know not just with the saint valentine's day massacre but it just seems like such a strange holiday and i think king would do, do awesome work with it that's a mm-hmm. great that's a great one even yeah. like if it's yeah. the, the leap day like only certain people actually get the day like and everybody mm-hmm. else skips yeah. over it like that'd be kind of you know fun. yeah langoliers kind of yeah thing I, I got a i got a, a script to pitch you after this is done i'll, I'll send you over <laughs> yeah. Yeah. jen what about you 
Um, I've, I said Christmas too. Um, and I think because I also love the spooky holiday, but also just like, I love how King, I think kind of dissects families in a way that I think is really interesting. And he kind of reveals like the sentimentality, but also mixed with like the dysfunction. And I think it's a really like compelling, but also kind of compassionate way of looking at, um, like flawed families with also like through a lens of love in a lot of ways. And something I've really been drawn to recently is just kind of, I, don't find as much joy in the holidays as I did and I kind of want like a story that I think could kind of explore that or kind of make me like I don't know see see myself in it so that's that's what I'd like is maybe like a Krampus kind of feeling of Christmas not so much maltzy but like this is what it's really like for a lot of people yeah you know? and yeah I feel you, like know, you, you know what I would dig if, we, if we're sending requests to Uncle Steve uh like a like a piano player at a at a, yeah. at a bar uh-huh like, you know what he did with the cycle of the werewolf how that started out as like mm-hmm. a calendar and then he would yeah. write like little brief entries and have the creepy art to accompany mm-hmm. it. and then that became essentially like kind of a novella um i think it would be fun to have like the stephen king calendar where he just writes a, a like a three paragraph creepy story for each month based on whatever oh, that would be amazing. you know valentine's day for february a new year's thing mm-hmm. for january christmas for december halloween you know arbor day mm-hmm. arbor day yeah <laughs> <laughs> labor day <laughs> yeah God, that'd actually be the best that. approach for it i feel like because he he's so good when he just gives you that that bite-sized story too i mean mm-hmm. we, jen we were talking about on like the crate um or no in weeds uh, one of our archive episodes in Patreon. Um, we we're talking about how he just gives a small aside for mm-hmm. you know Jordy Verrill's you know backstory, and it's only a graph, but it's so good. And you're like, mm-hmm. all right, well, there you go. That's he's just so good when he does the bite size stuff. But um, yeah, it's haunting. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've talked about Cujo, but <laughs> we haven't talked about Camber and Cujo. And our next question comes from Brett Camber and Cujo Littman. Uh, Brett wrote. I think David Simon should be the one to adapt the Dark Tower. Make it like the wire in Midworld, where all the pieces matter. For any wireheads out there, please cast the series using the cast members and characters. We can even keep Idris as Roland. <laughs> uh, so I'm a big wirehead. You I are, actually rewatched yeah. it yeah. Uh, during... It's actually my second favorite TV show of all time. Um, after Young Sheldon, of course. Um, <laughs> so Idris as Roland, we're going to stick with that. And I was thinking for Eddie, we could use Bubbles. And Johnny Weeks, who's sort of in a mentee-mentor relationship, could play Henry because they're both kind of junkies. You know, Johnny gets the short end of the stick. Bubbles gets the short end of the stick. But I think he keeps in his humanity. Um, for Susanna, Odetta, and Detta, I thought either Kima or Snoop would be a pretty cool choice because um, <laughs> they both have kind of the dark side, but there's also the redeeming quality. Um, for Jake, I would either do Wallace or Daquan. Uh, AKA Dookie. Oh man, yeah, uh, that'd be great. When we were watching it, we were like, no, we put respect on Daquan's name. Don't call him Dookie, like the kids that bully him. Let's <laughs> call him Daquan. And then just for some of the peripheral characters, I thought that uh, Brother Mazone as Blaine the Mono, because <laughs> he's like a purely yeah. logical creature, but he's also a killer, right? And he's he's almost impossible to outsmart. Uh, I thought Clay Davis as Flag or as Goodman Brown, just because he can kind of survive or maybe prop Joe as flag just because they seem like they're always able to kind of escape and slide between situations. And then finally going back to big coffin hunters, I thought Marlo Snoop and Chris Parlow, the uh, outsiders that rise up and challenge Avon's kingdom 
because they have the same skill set as like the gunslingers, but they're doing things a little bit differently, right? And they're doing it with maybe less honor than the uh, original crew. So those are mine that I cast. Oh, man. That's so good. That's I, I that. literally just wrote. I, I yeah. Well, look, that's why in my notes I just said defer to Flieger. You know, <laughs> so, uh, anyone, uh, Jen, Anthony, do you have any uh, wire responses on that one? I have not seen the wire. Oh, oh. <laughs> I know it's on my list. It's, it's, it's fair, an interesting fair. concept, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to match them up exactly, but uh, gosh, Aiden Gillen, the, who was uh, the council, Bobby Carcetti, like, uh, oh, I'm trying to think God. who he seems like he would fit well in Midworld. But uh, as who? Hmm. I don't know. I'd have to think about that some more. Yeah, it's a it's a fun question. It's uh, yeah. I knew you were. That, that was a perfect match for you, Flieger. I, I love doing the casting ones, but uh, it, I just think that'd be cool though. Yeah, because like you'd really get a focus on like you saying the very minor characters and how they all kind of contribute to Midworld. And I think that's what the Wire does so well. Is it from the kingpin down to the junkie? You see the f- sort of format they play. Oh, yeah, totally. they're all gears in the same clock. It's really yeah. Well. Let's uh, hear from Alex Harper. Um, I can read it because I got it. Uh, I have pulled up here. Um, Sweet. Go for it. I did. <laughs> uh, besides characters in The Shining and Dr. Sleep, which Stephen King characters do you think also have The Shining? Mm, I, I, I'll, I'll let you direct who answers that. <laughs> yeah. go. If you want to kick it off, I know Jen... Jen and I have been keeping a laundry list, I feel like, uh, mm-hmm. since we've been going. I think Mother Abigail from The Stand clearly is connected to things and mm-hmm. could read people and project her thoughts. And uh, I think Carrie clearly has some. Yeah. So although if she had The Shining, she would have a little more warning about what's going on. So maybe I'd cross Carrie off the list. Yeah, she probably would see the bucket. Yeah. At that point. Or at, you know, I would She'd be so. able to tell. She, yeah. When you have the shining, you're not naive. I think that's the difference yeah. between having telekinetic powers. Like, I don't know that Ch- uh, Charlie McGee from Firestarter has the shining, but she would, uh, um, she has something else, you know, but there are other characters that have a kind of sensitivity. Sensitivity seems to be the key to the shining. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Jen, you want to share some of yours? Because I, I feel like uh, we probably have a lot of the crossover on our list, actually. Yeah, I do. And I did put Charlie McGee, one, because she's just my everything. But also, <laughs> because there, and I don't think it is as shy, as like strong as Danny. And I don't think she's aware of it. But there is the moment when she's in the kitchen um, and she, of the farm that they've gone to, and she kind of senses that they're coming. Like, I feel like she is more sensitive than mm. most. Um, and I would put Ellie Creed in that category, yeah, too. That was my yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think she formally knows. Like, it's just kind of, it's like when um, when um, Dick talks about, like, people that don't really know they have the shining. Like, the guy he meets with the mittens, you know? It's like, they're just sensitive, you know? Um, and then I put um, Brady Hartsfield, I think, develops it. Um, and then I, I don't know. I kind of think of the shining as just kind of a, a conglomerate of powers and sometimes they come out in different ways. So I put Dinky Earnshaw on my list. I put, um, Sir Anthony Hopkins, whose name I can't remember in hearts in Atlantis, but that character I think has it. Oh, a little absolutely. Bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Explicitly and then, almost. Don't they say, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to spoil later, um, dark tower books, but yeah, there's, there, there's a group. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. um, the Institute kids. Ted Brodigan is his name. Brodigan, yeah. that's it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Played by Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. So those those are a couple of mine. Yeah. Flieger, what about you? Um, I, I think like Elaine and uh, Jake 
and the Dark Tower definitely have a touch of something. Um, that's probably more rightly called The Shining. For it, I was going to say, for some of the kids in it, like Beverly, is it yeah. just when she's in the deadlights that she can kind of harness that power? Or do you think it's latent inside of her? Um, I there think is it's some... because of the deadlights, right? That's what I was wondering, if that was like the triggering event, like mm. she can amplify what's already there or if this sort of gave her the powers. Um, I think, I mean, somebody mentioned like Mother Abigail has some sort of incredible power with it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what about from Gerald's game, Jesse's character? Well, she does have that link with Dolores. So right. I think there's there's a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. That's a, Dolores as well. I was wondering if they have just like the slightest touch of it. But. Well, and then there's like, so if like to really get nerdy about it there, I feel like there are the kids like Danny and Dick Holleran and Abra who like have it explicitly and can harness it and use it. Yeah. And then there are people that I think it's kind of latent in them. And then there's a triggering event that kind of brings it out, you know, cause I also put um, Edgar Fremantle from Do McKee. Yeah. Who I developed would, some sense. kind of it, but not before his accident. And so, you know, it's, it's just kind of a different, and I think I would put Gerald, um, Jesse and Dolores in, that is that they share this link that connects them to each other but i'm not sure they could connect to the larger world yeah you know? I, I agree i, I yeah. think that's right on i i mean in terms of additions here i guess you could kind of maybe throw johnny smith but i feel like it's in the same thing mm -hmm. that you were just talking about where it's like something happened you know yeah that cause i think more recent years jamie from later um oh yeah certainly has it uh i guess you could kind of make a case that holly gibney maybe mm -hmm. has a little bit um and i think this, he's driving towards that i feel like yeah and in terms of the kids from it i almost would argue for mike hanlon because like, i feel like he has like a clairvoyance that a lot of the kids don't have mm -hmm. um this is a stretch these are two stretches but i put tad trenton from because he sees the boogeyman a lot mm -hmm. in his closet but you know that could just be kind of you know clearly he didn't see him going to the farm so that doesn't work out yeah. but uh and then the last one is uh Horace the Corgi from Under the Dome, uh, <laughs> who sees ghosts and has a lot of clairvoyance mm -hmm. and what's going to happen to the owner and that. So um, mm -hmm. haven't gotten to that book yet, but uh, let's just say Horace the Corgi is uh, quite a hero in that book. So <laughs> very excited. But um, well, I want to take this, this, ne this next question really quick, speaking of corgis, actually, because Emily Winter asks, what's the max dollars Mike would pay to spend a day hanging out with Molly the Thing of Evil? Well, as I've joked many times in this podcast, I will one day uh, um, be able to see and, and steal Molly the Thing of Evil. So watch out, Stephen. I'm a um, huge <laughs> fan of the dog and we uh, we love dogs here. I'm just joking. But <laughs> I have stock in a certain company and I would gladly give it away, all of it, for a day with Molly the Thing of Evil. I think this dog <laughs> is so cute. I love this dog. I'm a huge fan of Corgi's. We are watching one now, which is probably why I am literally watering at the eyes and uh, <laughs> sneezing. But that is my lot in life. I love dogs and I'm hyper allergic and I'm literally the Eddie Kazbrack of this group, which is why. Oh. So, you know, anyway, let's move on. So Kim MacArthur Jackson, who wants to take this next question? Jen? Yeah. Um, okay. You live in a post-Captain Trips world in a community that isn't Vegas or Boulder. What King characters are part of your community and why? Bonus points. Where is your community? Um, my community is in the Keys, uh, probably a, a smaller one um, in Florida. 
And I like to think that we, me and a bunch of the ladies of King's Works would kind of escape all of the drama and just go live our best lives down on the beach. So I'm going to be hanging there with, of course, shocking with Charlie and with (laughs) Ellie and Sue Snell, I feel like could use um, some time away from a lot of the stress she's been through. Um, I think Eddie, Susanna and Jake would probably um, come down there and hang with us. And then Dolores and Jesse, too. So. That's my little little Island Keys community. Oh, uh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Anthony, where are you going? <laughs> I'm just going to say Little Tall Island. Uh, that's Ooh. the setting for uh, Dolores Claiborne and Storm of the Century. I was trying to, I was just quickly trying to look it up and see, is that the island in the Reach as well? I think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, uh, well, look, some weird stuff has definitely gone down on that island, but I think. Mm-hmm. If you were actually in a Captain Trips universe, uh, it would be good to be on an island. You could be a little isolated. You don't have to worry about people coming at you. Nobody would really go out and inspect that island, and you could kind of mm-hmm. live safely. So I'm I, I, maybe that's a boring answer, but I would <laughs> be safe. No, I think is that the one with um, home delivery is on Little Tall also. See, that's what I was wondering. Also, I don't know if it I think, is because I, I, I let me let me actually look that I up. I want to feel like it is, but I feel I mean, if it's not Little Tall, it's very similar to Little Tall, and I feel like they had a pretty good system, although you know, set up. Although, if if bad news does come to your island, uh, it could be even worse because there's nowhere to go. Did you guys all watch Midnight Mass? <laughs> oh yep, yeah, we <laughs> did. You know, when you talk about like your favorite Stephen King adaptations, like that's the best. <laughs> of the year that but it's not even a stephen king i know (laughs) and mike mike flanagan Mm -hmm. is a you know we're friends we did our our own like reread of the stand with the writer Mm -hmm. and the writer jason seacrest and uh you know he uh i think i love that maybe i'm maybe i'm in an island state of mind as a result of that uh, Mm -hmm. i like that well, it's funny too because I remember watching Hush and thinking, "Oh gosh, this feels like Gerald's game," you know. And then later seeing his adaptation, so mm-hmm. maybe he'll maybe he'll yeah. do Salem's Lot at some point. I, I was watching a making of, and they mentioned how they built the town for Midnight Mass, but then they obviously had the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So when they returned, the town had gotten weathered, which actually gave it a more lived-in feel. Yeah, which oh, I thought wow. was such a cool, you know, like way to you know find the silver lining kind of thing. But. Mm-hmm. That's actually really um, cool. That's eerie yeah. No, I, I was like, I was like, yes, that works out because it's you don't want fresh coats of paint on these buildings. No. Um, Where are you going, I had man? To pick, so I'm going to combine a few here with some time travel. Uh, I'm picking Duma Key just because uh, Florida Gulf Coast is beautiful. I used to live there, but the people are a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I would take the 112263 uh, population segment of America, move them to Duma. Oh, Jody. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I'd have like Sadie, and because it's you know, there's the little more wholesome '60s. I would hopefully come across as a little edgier, but without having to risk like going to jail, edgy, you know, like mm-hmm. you'd have to do now. So I think I could live amongst them and you know, pretend to like bring stuff from the future and act like I created it. Um, I don't. know, It seems pretty idyllic. Yeah, that would be awesome. I like how we all are going towards the ocean because mm-hmm. I, I I went really outside of King's Dominion. I I, I chose Antonio Bay which is the home of the fog because in my dreams, I'm going to end up one day in Point Reyes because I, I just love that area and I've been dying to live there. So I figured, Hey, this gives me a great opportunity to actually afford and be able to live out there. So, um, but I'm actually, because it's the fictionalized world, I'm just going to go with all in on Antonio Bay, but I'm bringing some King people. I'm, you know, I'm bringing, I'm also, you know, obviously bringing my girlfriend, Sammy and uh, our favorite dog Shiloh, but 
Johnny Smith and Sadie Dunhill are going to teach at the nearby school. Alan Pangborn is going to be the sheriff of the town. Father Callahan is going to watch over the Ooh. church that Hal Holbrook presided over in you know John Carpenter's mm. movie. Uh, Bucky from Billy Summers is going to run the Big Town Bar. Mike Hanlon, obviously, is going to run the newly minted Antonio Bay Library. Ellie Creed and Danny Torrance are happily married to uh, fulfill my dream of a Stephen King novel. And uh, mm-hmm. they're serving as the town counselors. Um, Cujo's Puppies are a big seller. Ray Flowers, specifically Rick Kathy Bates' Ray Flowers, is going to be broadcasting live from the lighthouse. And on the outskirts of town, keeping watch, are Billy Summers, John Rainbird, and Richie, Richie the Hammer Janelli. So no one bad is getting in this town because some bad boys are watching the town. So um, yeah, so pretty stoked uh, about living in this uh, fictionalized world nice. when the uh, fictionalized Captain Trips comes in. But uh, knowing me, because I get sick from everything, I, I would build this world and all of a sudden I'd get Captain Trips and be like, they'd be like, all right, get the hell out of here. I'd be <laughs> cast away from my own world. Um, Wayne DeGoldie, Flieger, take this one. Uh, make up a brand new epic novel by combining your favorite King novel of the eighties with your least favorite King novel of the eighties. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. This one's hard because I can find something redeeming in all of the eighties ones. Um, but I feel like Tommy knocker is kind of the wild card. Uh, we could just like slam stuff into that. Like, uh, you know, Hey, you got Firestarter. throw it in Tommy knocker. Uh, <laughs> but then I was actually, the more I was thinking about that, I was like Firestarter in Roadwork might be kind of interesting. Ooh. Um, having her help <laughs> define the construction. Um, I don't know. I, this one I had trouble answering, but what, what about you, uh, Anthony? Do you have any ideas of what she would combine? Favorite and least favorite eighties. I mean, it's the least favorite part that gets me. Like uh, I can see some yeah. combinations of things I liked. I, I, and this is one, I guess this is an eighties. I'm breaking all the rules here. Uh, <laughs> I, I really wish that Charlie McGee had turned up in the Institute same yes oh my god like i really mm-hmm. think that was a missed opportunity um mm-hmm. for her to return and the idea that she would be she would find out about this place and want to like re- reject the normal life that she has been building all these years like to keep herself safe that she would throw that all away because i'm not going to let any this happen to any other kids like that mm-hmm. would i really wish that that had happened I agree. Yeah, that was one of our biggest disappointments was the fact because I was so convinced that we were going to find out that the institute was just the reconfigured shop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when he, I think he explicitly had to go out and say it wasn't. And I was like, okay, well. Yeah, he that? did that in an interview with me uh, and yeah. maybe elsewhere too. But I did a piece for the New York Times uh, that was an interview with him about the institute. And he said, you know, I did the, the shop. And so I didn't want to do the shop. I wanted this to be like some sort of like global. Uh, do-gooder association you know there are these sort of non-governmental organ ngos i guess what they call them and he wanted to do something like that that was harvesting kids and um but i kind of wish he had leaned in i think he was trying deliberately not to redo not to repeat himself not to redo mm, firestarter mm-hmm. but i think it would have been a, a cool way to, to to connect the two but still do something different anyway agreed agreed mm-hmm. hey man he doesn't take his marching orders from me that's that is the, <laughs> right. like i know what's best for stephen king mm-hmm. you know? just send him an email next time and be like you know no say, was rethinking right. about this <laughs> oh i did i did i uh, get a i do have a i do have a funny i'm sorry i hope this isn't super name droppy or no know, it's fine I mean, look if you love king so it's when sense. i was interviewing him about the stand series you know and i asked him about um 
the additional the coda that he'd written the final episode of the series that he wrote himself that shows Franny and Stu sort of trying to resettle and and uh as this was going through edits my editor said well is that going to be is he going to put out a new copy of the book like he's updated the book a couple of times already so will there be a new edition that has this ending written as prose so I shot him an email. I don't lean on his email. I, I very, I try not to bother him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, burn the bridge. But at yeah. this point, I was like, oh, I have a question, like a follow-up question. Like, will a new book be issued with that ending? And he wrote back, and maybe he was just screwing around, but he was like, no, there won't be. But where were you when I needed you? This is a great idea. <laughs> I should have done that. Uh, you know, if he ever needs a manager, somebody to tell him what he should do. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Hey, there you go. You've heard it there. Uh, yeah, I actually was wondering about that too. Just like if it, because it does fit so well. I mean, like on that episode review that we talked about it, it we basically argue that like it really does serve as a coda for both the show and the book. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because it does feel so removed from everything else in the, in the show anyway. So um, I, I, I actually really love the episode. But uh, yeah, Jen, Jen, what books are you promoting? Um, well, I am going to combine Pet Cemetery and Roadwork. And um, I talked about this when we did our whole episode on Bachman and uh, King. And I kind of twinned all of the Bachman books with a King book. And I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I think there are um, some overlapping themes in Roadwork and Pet Cemetery. I think it's both kind of these about these men that have ideas of what a family should be and what family life is. And it gets taken away from both of them. And I think um, they both deal with that in some very maladaptive ways and some very damaging ways. And I, you know, I give Barton a hard time because I feel like he does a lot of that to himself. And I wish that he and Lewis could maybe talk to each other. And I feel like Lewis does a lot of it to himself, too. But he's also dealing with way more loss, I think, than Barton is. Um, Not to minimize losing your home, because that is traumatic. But that's not quite the same as seeing your toddler, like, mowed down in the road. And I just kind of would like for Lewis to talk to him and be like, hey, there are bigger problems in the world. Like, let don't destroy your whole family because they are, um, like, building in your neighborhood, you know? So. Yeah, people should go back and listen to your twinning comparison. I was oh, on that yeah. episode and that was really good. Uh-huh. Like it was, I was oh, marveling at that. That was really fun. <laughs> I yeah, I'd put Pet Cemetery too. I, I I kept it simple though. I just was like Pet Cemetery and Christine. I'm not a big fan of the Christine book, so I just said like someone buried the car in the Micmac burial ground. Go. Like, <laughs> or, you know, oh, maybe it's actually yeah. an origin story for Christine. There you go. Christine uh, runs yeah. runs the baby over. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that's oh. That, 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 Jesus Christ, yeah, that's Age. uh. Yeah, and they're like, get out, and then they keep running after it. And there's yeah. no car there. Um, oh, man. Oof, yeah. Well, oh, God. Ivan Prushnok, he asks. That's the penultimate question, right? This is the yeah. penultimate question. Yeah, we got one more after this, which is great. Um, do you think Stephen Pete, will, as in Peter Straub, will finish the third installment of The Talisman if the Duffer brothers knock it out of the part with the Netflix show? I said 100% yes, I think money talks, but I think it really depends on whether or not Peter Straub is in good health because I had heard through Twitter and through our constant listeners and people messaging um, that uh, you know he wasn't in great health in that reportedly he rebounded this year, so who knows, but um, you know he did come out recently and say that it wasn't going to happen. So I don't know. I mean, I hope that'd be great. I, I think that you know they've teased it 
since Black House, and it would be cool if we got to see the final cap. But I do think if he's in good health and this Netflix show does take off, um, you know, that's considering the fact that their Duffer brothers are still working on season four of Stranger Things. So mm-hmm. who the fuck knows when this thing is ever going to come out? But I don't know. I feel like I, it doesn't seem like a reasonable thing to happen. Uh, I don't know. Am I alone here? Jen, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think so. And I would love to see it too. I am not a big fan of the talisman, but when I was doing my chronological reread, Black House was one of my biggest surprises by how much I enjoyed it. Um, drawing of the three and the Tommy knockers was, were the other ones that I just really, really enjoyed it. And I think, yeah, I would love to see them kind of expand on the themes, um, of Black House, um, and do the next chapter. What would the next chapter be? Is that something that's maybe I'm just not familiar with what the third one would be? There was a hint in that, uh, I think Peter Straub said that it was a, from a real inspired by a real event from their childhoods that was really well known and that the King kept a scrapbook about it and that he had been really fascinated by it when he was a kid too. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, didn't King keep like a scrapbook about the Starkweather murders uh, in the, was that the fifties? I think you so. Know? Yeah, he did. Yeah. It's kind of like, do you know the movie Badlands with Sissy Spacek and Martin Sheen and the Terrence oh, yeah. Malick yeah. film? Like it's basically, that was the art film version of it. it is, uh, it's like a Bonnie and Clyde, but they're just killers, not yeah. really bank robbers and Starkweather mm-hmm. and his like young girlfriend just went on a shooting spree well and that was mentioned in the the ballad of um lard ass hogan i yeah. think he yep. mentions keeping that scrapbook so yep. yeah i think he did yeah because he has the photo he the, the photo he talks about with lard ass having is the exact one that um is actually real i mean we, we, mm-hmm. when we googled it it's kind of you know so i was thinking i'm piecing things together there maybe there was something and maybe it was the cuban missile crisis for guys <laughs> you know like no, could be. well-known major event but i think the stark weather thing really struck a nerve because that was like the dawn of rock and roll too and that that mm-hmm. felt like real danger as opposed to like you listen to old school rock and roll and you're like what were they really afraid of with this i want to hold yeah. your hand uh-huh. or like you know like <laughs> you know the chuck berry stuff feels it's you know provocative but it's relatively tame and uh yeah. and, and yet stark weather uh just like the cape man in new york you know salvador gran and the, mm-hmm. the gangs he was in that was like you know west side story is the sanitized version of that but there were actual street gangs that were fighting for territory and fighting for existence essentially on the streets of new york and um you know this was a, something similar that played out a youth rebellion deadly rebellion in the midwest so maybe that's maybe that was it the framework yeah. I'm, i was bummed to hear peter straub come out and say that he didn't think it was going to happen after years of both he and king saying they they have a great idea and they might do it um i don't know it doesn't sound yeah. like it's going to happen though i know it's we'll see i mean it's fingers crossed that the that the show you know uh pushes it but again i i just don't see that show happening for another five years i i think that that i think the pandemic really just kind of put that in flux a little bit just because I mean, we still haven't had four streets stranger things for so i mean it's it's not coming out until like probably next spring so anyway Fleer, do you got any uh, thoughts would you want to see a third chapter um i i just wouldn't put it past stephen king to not do something i just think he's so prolific and inventive sure. it, you know i think it's largely peter's health but i hopefully you know i hope it goes forward yeah mm-hmm. well we got one last question jeffrey clutterbuck 
you got a question. <laughs> David Fincher, take it away. You are David Fincher. You're sitting by your pool in LA writing the screenplay for Mank 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> and you get and you get a call on the phone. And it's Stephen King asking you to adapt one of his properties. And this is where we cue the Rothman impression. Uh, <laughs> and he, so which property would Fincher choose? And would he go with the film routes or would he go with the miniseries routes? Flieger, you're a big Fincher head. Go for it. Um, I'm going to go miniseries, but very limited, maybe three to four episodes. Uh, I love like seven alien three like dripping wet just yeah. scary as hell um so i'm gonna pick pet cemetery uh lisey story and joyland i would love to see him adapt those especially joyland which you know you're like oh it's like carny they're kind of dirty but there's like a wholesomeness to it and i would love to see fincher just turn it into like a prison planet like you know that sort of terror <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh God! Hey, I'm a big fan of Alien Three. I'm one of the. I'm in a very small island uh, of those that love that movie. What would you What would you pick, Mike? Um, I, you know, I I kept it simple. I mean, you look back, like Fincher definitely reinvented the '90s thriller. So I feel like he'd probably fit in really well with you know the true crime run, like something like even Billy Summers. But I kind of want to see him do the long walk. I feel like. You know, obviously, uh, Andre Overdahl is is doing it now, and Darabont expressed interest in doing it previously. But I just feel like the medium of the story would have posed just such a perfect problem for Fincher to solve, and I think it'd warrant like kind of that gritty, back to basics film that we've want from him. But on that same note, with Bachman, I feel like, and this would never happen today. It just would never be greenlit. But I feel like him and Aaron Sorkin could find a way to elevate Rage. To make it look like to me, especially because I know that you know, like Sorkin loves the one location setting that you know he's he's a man of the stage. So I feel like he could find a way to kind of take the core tenet to that story and do something with it. But there's just no way in hell that movie make gets greenlit. Maybe for streamers, I don't know. But I just feel like him and Fincher could do something really fucking cool with that. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Jen, what about you? Um, well, I also love David Fincher and I think I was thinking more like Gone Girl, uh, Mind Hunter, House of Cards, David Fincher, um, thinking I would love to see him tackle some of the stuff in that is non-supernatural. Um, so maybe taking on, um, Full Dark, No Stars, some of those novellas, cause I feel like they are so dark, but not in a way about how humans are dark with each other, which I think is where he really excels. And I would love, I couldn't decide between a good marriage and big driver because I would love to see what he does with both of them. And and they've been adapted. And I think there are good things in both of them and also things that don't quite work. So I would love to see someone like him really take those stories on. And I think after seeing gone girl, I think a good marriage would be fantastic from him. That'd be cool. Yeah. I was thinking about one of those old mini, like the older ones that have been adapted or something like that. Like I wondered mm-hmm. if like Bag of Bones could do it. Maybe. I don't know. Ooh, but, that'd be um, interesting. Anthony, close us out. I'm with you on the long walk. and I know that's being made. So uh, I guess we can cross that off of the list. <laughs> um, but I, I always liked uh, the film Cat's Eye and I thought they did a good job with some of the short stories in that, like The Ledge and mm-hmm. uh, Quitters Incorporated um and, you know but those are i think those hold up pretty well so uh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss but i don't think he does well with supernatural fincher has always been much more about like realism mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And if misery wasn't so well done, I would say maybe he could do that. I thought about that one too, but, but yeah, it's hard to see that being top. But it's you know? unnecessary, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So you don't... just do sloth from Seven, where the guy's in the bed. For <laughs> oh year. God! Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so um, yeah, I'm I'm at a little bit of a loss there. You know, of what 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 could he do? I'm trying to think of like what's a good king because King also often he very seldom avoids the supernatural he embraces it with almost everything so he really does um i think it's that's a tricky one yeah fincher's definitely a weird match i i I, the only thing i could revert to is really bachman with this so Mm -hmm. yeah good job jeff (laughs) (laughs) i mean look there's always mrs todd shortcut that is yeah just keep going through it just throw that one out there right uh (laughs) that's always my answer of what i want to see adapted uh he probably could do a really sick version of survivor type and i just feel like that would bore fincher Mm. a little bit i don't think Uh, did you ever see the animated version of that Uh, yeah the the creep show one yeah Yeah, that was cool that was cool Mm -hmm. um yeah one one of our friends from college he did a dollar baby for it and it's really good and it's really gnarly um and but it's it's so it's such a short like you you couldn't you just couldn't make a feature out of that i just don't think it would work but it'd just be relentless so this is one all right i've got it (laughs) (laughs) do you guys know the short story a death it's a western mystery that king wrote is that the one with the hat i think yeah yeah and there's like a coin involved. yes there's a coin and they have to figure out like you know who actually committed this murder it's a little bit of a detective story although i think the Uh mystery ultimately ends up being unresolved i think it would be neat to see fincher tackle the western elements i love this story i think it first was in the new yorker Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was in the bizarre of bad dreams but it's real it's it's sort of it's got this sort of tragic lawman at the center it's like a great gary cooper kind of western hero Mm -hmm. uh conflicted trying to do the right thing not sure what the right thing is i think maybe it doesn't have enough uh grimness it's pretty dark story but it it doesn't have that kind of like uh overt evil that i know fincher is fascinated by so um Mm -hmm. i don't know but i think that's a good call though Mm -hmm. i think that would be interesting because a lot of it is about like just the evil that exists in our world and how people are just kind of caught in it Mm -hmm. you know so yeah, and I think you, that would be really interesting. And if you think of like the settings in Mank, he mm-hmm. kind of finally got away from the cities, you know, mm-hmm. and like he's in sort of a lot of the, the a lot of the more barren landscapes, and I feel like that could work. I mean, he it was an interesting pivot for him. I mean, that was one of the first things I thought about when I was watching it. It's just like, wow, like he's never really done this. You know, he's done suburban sprawl, he's done the city, but he always he's always in some sort of type of like you know dense civilization, even when he's in you know Alien it's a dense prison. So like for him to be in this wide expanse would be kind of interesting. I think that's maybe what he might be interested in right now. Um, you know, it's then again, make is just a passion project. So who knows? <laughs> Fun question. Fun question. I love those director's mm-hmm. questions. Like I, I think we got Ari Aster one time and I think all of us just like <laughs> rushed to the shining or like, Oh my God, please give it to us. But mm-hmm. look, as they say in Goodfellas, that's that. So uh, <laughs> this has been fun. But before we go, uh, let's tell our constant listeners where we're going next. Anthony, anything you'd like to promote right now or anything you got coming up? Uh, just work it away. Lots of stuff on vanityfair.com and in the magazine. Um, 
yeah, I'd be happy if you just check me out there. <laughs> sweet, sweet. We'll definitely have the links in our, mm-hmm. in our uh, details to, to keep following. Jen, what's going on with psychoanalysis? What are you studying in November? Well, our November theme is coming of age horror and um, specifically geared toward the ladies. So we just today recorded our episode on ginger snaps and we are going to be also doing raw with paired with that, which I haven't seen yet. And I'm a little nervous. And then we're also doing a comfort horror episode on uh, the faculty, which I cannot wait to talk about. And then Mr. Dan Flieger is going to be our fourth uh, episode of the month with a film that is TBD as of now. But it's Ooh. Really fun. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard some of his uh, early uh, comfort horror uh, you know, decisions. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't comfort horror in the slightest. And you're crazy to think that. Hey. You never want to rewatch these movies. Different strokes. That's right. We find comfort in the strangest places. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, Flieger, perhaps you could kind of tease your next Dark Tower detour. Um. Yeah, it's coming up. Uh, It'll be coming out in November, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have a few ideas that we're narrowing down, but I think you'll enjoy it. Like I said, it's like the tinfoil cowboy hat Dark Tower analysis. So it's part Alex Jones, part deep dive. Um. (laughs) But yeah, so that'll be coming up. I'm excited to do a psychoanalysis. And uh, I was just re- checking out Anthony's, uh, the Sharon Duncan Brewster article. So I would recommend checking that out if you're a oh, Dune fan. Um, I was really enjoying oh. that. And I, she, her performance really jumped out to me in that film. So uh, yeah. I'm and thanks for everyone for submitting fan. good questions. Oh, great. I'm, yes. I love it. I'm a, I'm a big Dune head. So oh, I'm, my God. I'm enjoying that. Oh, no. no. Sorry, I'm enjoying I ordered the, people the book that on the way home from the guy. theater. <laughs> yeah. It's Sorry. a great read. Yeah, yeah. I've yet to watch it. I've yet to go into Dune. I was uh, so busy watching a bunch of horror movies this weekend, but uh, I got to dive into it. Um, but I got one movie I got to dive into really soon, and that's Carrie, because mm. next month, look, the club's got a feast full of content planned for November, but one of the big things we're doing is The Long Watch, which is our new deep dive mini uh, series, spinoff series, what have you, or movie series, basically covering all the movies that we never got to do deep dives on. We're going to the beginning with Carrie because it's the the 45th anniversary of Brian De Palma's Carrie. So we're going to be talking all about it with a very special guest, uh, which I can't name yet, but uh, it's, it's a good one. And uh, then we're going to be visiting Hollywood King to catch up on all the headlines, maybe even uh, some of Anthony's. Uh, <laughs> and uh, finally, we are going to meet the girl who loved Tom Gordon. So, you know, look, we, we went through Bag of Bones in September. Two episodes. We went deep. We had a Dance Macabre episode for Something Wicked This Way Comes. We had a little detour into Ray Bradbury. It was fun time in the Midwest with him. But we're back. We're back in the woods. And it's uh, I'm very excited to talk about this story. And uh, we got a really great panel on that. And then, honestly, right beyond that, like literally a week. We have just did the schedule uh, last week. We're going right into Hearts in Atlantis. So uh, it's going to be a fun holiday season. Hope uh, hope you're ready for it. Hope you got your sweater. Hope you got your Stephen King sweater. Maybe even a sweater that has the rocket on it, like uh, Danny Torrance and uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, <laughs> much to uh, King's chagrin. Awesome. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to wear one. I'm just going to walk around and scare my girlfriend uh, all the time. <laughs> but uh, look, this has been fun. It's always a good time here in the Mellow Tiger and we will see you here next month. Uh, we'll, we'll always have a seat or two or three or four waiting for you. Until then, let's sign off with a long days. Long days and pleasant nights. Pleasant nights.
This is the end of our show. For now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>